Welcome to Eagle-Eyed, a podcast from the Heights. I'm Jack Miller. On this episode, last month, thousands participated in the Silence is Still Violence March here at Boston College to protest racist incidents on campus and the administration's response, which many felt was lacking. How administrators and student leaders work together and how they plan to change BC for the better. It's Monday, November 20th, 2017. No racism at BC! No racism at BC! This is, don't make this a moment, right? It's a movement. This is a movement. The Silence is Still Violence March was the climax of a week of activism at BC, preceded by a rally on Monday night and a well-attended walkout Wednesday. By Friday, local media outlets had picked up the story. The event was inspired by two incidents that occurred the previous weekend. Two students in Ron Colley Hall, which houses mostly sophomores, found that someone had defaced their Black Lives Matter posters by writing don't and do not. A couple of days later, a Snapchat of a burnt steak and cheese sandwich captioned, I like my steak and cheese like I like my slaves, was spread through the student body on social media. It was on Sunday um, where things kind of blew up in that sense. And I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous and we like need to do something about it and we need to talk about it. What do people want to do? And then it ended up being kind of like a think tank in my room between my roommates, um, myself and other friends that are in student government. And so that night I emailed Dean Mogan uh, and other administrators and professors just saying, this is what's happened. Please look at these photos. Um, and I'd attached all the photos associated with the incidents. This is Akosua Achampong, the president of UGBC. She sat down with Taylor St. Germain, the managing editor of The Heights and a producer of this show. So Dean Mogan ended up emailing me back that night within an hour or two. And he said that he had free time the Monday. So then we set a meeting for Monday at 9 a.m. So we met here and had a meeting of some student representatives and um, myself and, and some staff members from the Bomanahana Intercultural Center uh, met on Monday morning and they had already you know formulated a plan for a rally on on Friday. So um, I said, of course, you know that's uh, something we, we would love to, to uh, support. And um, so we ended up you know t- talking about some of the specifics of it. That's Dean of Students Tom Mogan who spoke with Alec Graney about his relationship with UGBC. Later that day, about 200 students gathered on O'Neill Lawn to listen to their black peers share their own experiences with racism and announce passivity after the weekend's incidents, including that of the administration. Many felt that the email sent out by the university on Monday wasn't a strong enough response. I just know that in the past this has happened before and a lot of us have been discouraged. A lot of you guys are discouraged and you guys say, um, this happened before, it's going to happen again. But this is the time for us to stop. It's like, it's done, it's over. We are not, we're not going to accept this. Akosua and Dean Mogan didn't plan this event, though both attended. I think that there was a lot of anger and frustration expressed in that space in a way that many people weren't necessarily ready for, particularly non-students of color or even non-black students. Um, and even some blacks. I, I would say like people were just surprised. 
by the way many of the sentiments were coming across but I thought that it was very necessary to come together and gather and I remember saying to uh, Dean Mogan afterwards like wow look at how much pent-up emotion was at this event think about not having a space for these students to gather and then having to go back to their dorm rooms where they do face a lot of problematic situations and frankly racist behavior from their peers from um, at different times what do you expect to come out of that situation it's like a powder keg you know like sending people um with no real outlet for their frustrations back into the places where they experience a lot of um otherness Dean Mogan continued to communicate with Akosua and other student leaders as the week progressed. He made it clear that the march was by students for students. We had a general outline of, of how that was going to go, and then I think we followed up in a meeting on Wednesday, um, and that's where Akosua and, and TT indicated that they would uh, like me to speak. Um, I had in my mind that I would, would have loved to have, uh, have spoken, but I also know that it was a student-organized rally, and I didn't want it to seem like, um, you know, the administration was there to sort of, you know, take over or do anything, you know, that, that would imply, you know, um, that uh, the students were in any way, you know, um, led by the administration in terms of this. This was a student-organized event. Uh, it was, um, the format was, was decided by the students, and, and I was just there to help uh, support them in, in that process. That was the week of the march. Check out our earlier episode for a more in-depth look. But the story doesn't end there. Akosua shared a list of demands at the march, setting guidelines for what the student body wants to see from the university. One. A module comparable in format to alcohol education should be created, mandated, and disseminated among all students currently enrolled at Boston College. Two, we recognize that 46% of new faculty hires in 2017 identify as a HANA Plus and would agree that this is a form of progress. Our African and African Diaspora Studies program should be expanded to a, to a department. The relevant histories of black people in the creation and sustenance of our nation should be accessible to all students. We must see an increase in racial representation in our historically unprogressive and non-inclusive fields of study. As it stands, a student can go through four years at Boston College without ever taking a course with a professor of color. Our administration also visibly lacks these same sources of representation. We need high-ranking administrators of color to present their perspectives that are simply inaccessible to our current administration. Since then, she's met with administrators from several departments to talk about the changes BC can make. Last Monday, we had a meeting with uh, some senior administrators, including myself and uh, Vice President you know, Bob, Barb Jones and um, the Vice President of Mission Ministry, uh, Father Jack Butler, the Provost David Quigley. So some senior-level administrators met with a group of students led by Akosia uh, from UGBC and uh, started a dialogue around uh, some of the um, requests that they have put forward at the rally and 
in subsequent resolutions that they had passed or, or the previous resolutions that they had passed uh, leading up to, to, to the rally. And uh, so we've already begun uh, dialogue with them around, around a lot of these issues. And uh, so we will uh, continue that moving forward. And um, really, that's just a continuation of, of the continual dialogue that we have with, with UGBC and, and other student groups. Um, and but we have now have a, a set of you know specific um, requests that are being made that, that we are um, talking with students about and, and that we will we will continue the dialogue throughout uh, this semester and, and into next semester and hopefully that will lead to some uh, concrete steps. How kind of receptive has the administration been to kind of the things that you've brought to the table? So I would perceive the conversations to have been productive to an extent um and from what i got um administrators have been very um inquisitive and also willing to engage in what i would like to hope is active listening and active dialogue in that don't just listen to my experiences and then sit down with them because i feel like that's been my experience in the past being that i was sitting in front of some administrators and saying how many times are we going to have this same exact conversation and i think that the changing of our our lives outside of boston college i think is putting us in a different position at boston college to be able to um negotiate a lot of situations and really try and push the envelope so from what i've heard and from what i'm seeing administrators are really open to trying to affect change but i don't want to say definitively one way or the next because there hasn't been a formal response so we don't know if one of the things on the list is going to happen but i know that it's been presented and things are being looked at and and discussed in those spheres so it's only a matter of time before we know what will really come out of that the week after the march the undergraduate government of boston college released a resolution containing the demands in it they called for the university to prevent future incidents by investigating and punishing perpetrators, reviewing training programs for faculty, and creating a diversity training module similar to the alcohol and sexual assault programs students currently take. They also pushed the administration to reaffirm its commitment to diversity and acceptance on campus through hiring higher-ranked administrators of color, hiring and retaining more faculty of color in traditionally white-dominated fields, establishing and advertising regular office hours for top administrators, acknowledging that institutional policy change is necessary, and affirming that Black Lives Matter. Find the link for the exact wording for these proposals on this episode's further reading section. Are there any specific points or parts of their um, ideas or proposals that you think might be the easiest or fastest or most realistic to implement? I, I think a lot of what they're talking about some some of what they're talking about we already do in some form of fashion so it, it, it's how do we do that in a way uh, that uh, we believe will lead to greater outcomes and, and how can we enhance what we already have and, and I'll give you examples like um, sort of a, a training for students and, and um, around issues of, of diversity and inclusion. Over the last several years, we have um, in, included uh, the Mosaic program as part of Welcome Week, and that all students, uh, freshman students, are required to participate in, in some of the Welcome Week programs, and that's one of them, uh, where we students um, 
talk about their experiences on campus, and, and oftentimes it's, it's uh, students who uh, whose identities may be um, ones that are not privileged on, on campus, and, and they talk about their experiences, and they, they talk openly and honestly about sometimes how they, they struggle around those uh, identities, and, and uh, then they have facilitated discussions um, based on, on the student experiences. So that, that, that is new as of, as of two years ago. And, um, we're also are piloting a program called Campus of Difference in uh, several residence halls, and um, so that is has been uh, a positive program so far that that has really um, generated some conversations around diversity and, and inclusion, uh, and so there are plans to, to um, expand that. Um, so the students have brought forth some other ideas about how, how to do that, uh, including maybe like a diversity education module along the lines of, of alcohol. Uh, so do you think part of that is kind of like like alcohol is just the providing students more information and ways to talk about it? Is that kind of a feeling that you've gotten from the direction that students have wanted to go? Yeah, I, I do think there there is a sense uh, from the students that that we need to be a little bit more clear about what the policies are and okay. and what maybe the um, what are the consequences for students if they don't follow those those policies um, and. So that, that's one aspect of, of what we're talking about, how we can make that a little bit more, more clearer. Akosua echoed Mogan's desire to make the consequences of racism at BC clearer. She felt that students can't learn if they don't feel safe in the classroom. When you see these, um, these racist incidents, these homophobic incidents, you're like, who did that? And it could be the person walking directly next to you. And if you don't feel like your university is taking a very firm stance against these actions and calling them by name, not incidents of hate, not bias motivated, but they're not calling them racist and they're not calling them homophobic and they're not calling them ableist or, or, or bigoted. It's hard, right? It's, it sucks to think that like your, your classmate may think that way, but when your institution doesn't affirm it in a very explicit manner, you think beyond that, you're like, oh my goodness. Does my professor think like this? Does Do the deans of my university think this way? They also both mentioned that the administration can take steps to facilitate discussion on campus, a crucial component of a quality university education. It's about um, how, how to be able to have these difficult conversations. You know, How can we talk about issues of, of race and diversity and inclusion and gender? Um, and how, how can we talk about these issues with in a in a way that uh, is really open to dialogue and, and not just the debate. I think a big problem is people don't know how to talk about what they want to talk about. Um, some students still say, oh, is, is saying black offensive? Like, is that okay? Like, is that something that we can still do? Or thinking that like using African-American interchangeably with black makes it more acceptable. There's just a lack of education and that's very clear when someone can um, do something like this, like whether that be that racist Snapchatter or make a joke that is clearly very damaging and say, well, I didn't know. It's just something that I've always done. That means that we're missing the mark as a university. This is something Mogan says they're taking seriously. There is a commitment to look at uh, that diversity and, and inclusion, um, the education around uh, diversity and inclusion and, and how we deliver that to, to the students, again, from the time they're accepted. And right now we're focusing mostly in on, on the first year. Um, 
how does it make sense to kind of look at what we do at orientation, what we do at welcome week, what we maybe do with this campus of difference program, um, and, and how do we build a, a program that we think is going to be effective. So, so that, that, that's, that's all part of this conversation. It's not easy to bring about lasting, concrete change for an issue that has been present within the university for most of its history. It will take more than a week of activism, more than a few weeks or months. But both bodies have recognized the issue and have committed to trying to make a permanent difference. And I think that it already has become a movement primarily carried on the backs of marginalized students at this campus um, and at Boston College. And it's just very taxing and tiring uh, for the people on the receiving ends of so much discrimination that has a lot of historical context based on identities that they cannot control, right? You're not getting uh, pushback for being a fan of something or liking something that someone does not. Like people are discriminating against you, uh, showing hatred towards you because of the color of your skin, because of your sexuality, because of your ability. Um, and that has always been a movement. Eagle Eye is produced by Alec Rainey, Taylor St. Germain, and myself. Francisco Ruela is our technical supervisor. Our show art is by Zoe Fannin. Our theme music is by Andrew Hammond, a music producer here on campus. For the articles or more background information behind these stories, or more general info about the show, visit bcheights.com slash podcasts. That's it for Eagle-Eyed. I'm Jack Miller. See you next time. Thank you.